Alright, so we are in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll go ahead and start reading in verse 1. It says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, remember last week we talked about how the Apostle Paul is clearly going through a tough time right now. He's in prison. He's writing to Timothy, trying to encourage him, trying to comfort him. He's mindful of his tears that he has, and so Paul's just trying to encourage him. He's trying to encourage Timothy, and so... While he kind of gives him those comforting words in the first chapter, telling him uh, about the promise of life that's in Christ Jesus and all these wonderful promises of God, telling him he's mindful of his tears, he's praying for him, all those wonderful things. And then chapter 2, now he's kind of, you know, telling him now, all right, I told you the kind of the comforting things, now I'm telling you, be strong. Right? And sometimes we do, you know, we need that, those comforting words, those nice words, those caring, loving words. And then sometimes we need somebody to just tell us, all right, time to toughen up. We need that too. But it helps if you start out with the loving and the kind things first. It's amazing how many people, they have this attitude that, you know, everybody should just automatically be ready to accept just the hardcore, vicious rebuke. You know, they'll listen to a pastor get up in his church and just rip face. And then they go and they get their first opportunity to preach, and then they just rip face. Like the pastor, and then people often don't take it very well. And then you got Mr. Young Punk, you know, he's thinking, I don't, you know, I don't understand it. You know, they obviously just can't handle me. You know, how come the pastor gets away with it and I can't? I'll tell you why. Because usually the pastor has proved to those people that he loves them and that he cares about them. You've proved nothing yet. And understand when it comes to, you know, ripping face and just letting people have it sometimes, you have to earn that ability to do that. And remember that, you know, all you men that want to pastor a church someday, you know, you need to prove some things to people before you get up there and you start foaming at the mouth preaching. And I'm all for foaming at the mouth preaching. I love it. But you got to prove some things to people first. And that's why, too, people often get triggered by preaching that they hear on the Internet. They'll hear a clip, you know, from me where I'm just ripping face. But what they forget is I'm preaching to you who know me. You know, you know where I'm coming from. I know where you're coming from. You understand the context of everything. All they hear, they picture themselves sitting in that church. Like, why would I ever listen to this guy? You know, this guy is, is a nut. And the truth is, I get why they think that. If all you've seen is that clip, if you walked into a church and the first thing I'm looking right at you and just screaming at you, you know, I, that would be pretty off-putting. But you know what's funny about our type of preaching, though, is while people often get offended the first time they hear it, they often go listen again, don't they? And for some reason, they just like, I'm going to listen a little more of that. And then all of a sudden, they find themselves liking it. And enjoying it. And how many of you were there at one time? You know, maybe not me, but another pastor. You heard, who is this maniac? You know, ripping face, foaming at the mouth, whatever. But for some reason, you went back for more. And, but you know, and after time, you learn that, hey, this guy, he's earned that ability to get up and scream like that. But not everybody's gotten there yet. And so the Apostle Paul, you know, he kind of works up to it now where he's talking a little stronger and he's telling Timothy, you know, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And, and then he goes on and he says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Paul wants Timothy to continue teaching the same things that he had been given. 
Hey, you're not supposed to go out there to try to just come up with your own new stuff. You know, don't come here hoping to get an ordination, thinking I just got to get that ordination from Brother Tommy so I can go and start my new cult that I want to do one of these days. You know, you have no desire to be a Baptist. You have no desire to even be a Baptist that preaches what we do. But yet you come here thinking you got to get some ordination from me so you can go and start your weird little cult somewhere. That's not how that works. That's not what you should do. Hopefully, okay, hopefully what you're going to do is when you go out, you know, you're going to teach the same things. Okay, now, it doesn't mean you're going to be exactly like me. It doesn't mean you're going to dot every I and cross every T. But there's, like we talked about last week, there's going to be some pretty good similarities. There's going to be some real similarities in what we see. And Paul wants Timothy to continue with the same thing that he had been given. Last week in chapter 1 and verse 5, remember what he said? When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. So he mentions the faith that was in his mother, that it was in his grandmother. He had the same faith, didn't he? And then what Paul wanted Timothy doing was something that was under the authority, that was under the spirit, that came from Paul by the putting on of his hands. So there's no doubt here, and this is important that we get this context too, because you know when you understand the context of this chapter, you know you're going to just laugh every time you listen to a dispensationalist bring up Second Timothy two fifteen. You're going to laugh at what they do, and I'm going to show you too. And this isn't ultimately about dispensationalism, but I will be showing you that literally. What they call rightly dividing is the exact opposite of what 2 Timothy 2 is trying to teach. It is the opposite. That they have fallen into the trap that 2 Timothy 2 has warned us about. And isn't that just like the devil? How he does that, basically, their, their messed up, whacked out dispensational teaching... They will say it's all based on what we've been commanded to do in 2 Timothy 2.15. But if somebody actually reads the whole chapter and looks at context, they'll figure out that, no, what dispensationalism is, dispensationalism is the end result of not following all of 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's exactly what it is, and we'll see that. And, you know, and it should be a surprise, too, that dispensationalism came from Darby in the 1800s. Now, wait a minute. If 2 Timothy 2.15 teaches dispensationalism, why didn't it come out until the 1800s? There, there's a reason, because it should be something that was passed down. That you know, We should be able to trace back what we teach to the Apostle Paul. And they can't, they can't do that. They can only go back to the 1800s. But in, notice in verse 3, it says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Be, all right, being in the, uh, the Christian life, and not only just being in the Christian life, but... Standing for truth, it is not for sissies. Now, what we're seeing here in chapter 2, it's about preserving good doctrine. But notice, this isn't about suffering, going to prison, getting beat up. Just standing for the truth of what the Bible teaches is not for sissies. You do have to be tough, because let me tell you, the pressure is real when it comes to what you teach. The pressure is real the ridicule is real. The, you know, being uh, put out of the synagogues, figuratively speaking, is still going on today. If you don't follow all the rules, man, you get kicked out of the club. And folks, I've been kicked out of clubs before. And it's not fun. It's not, it's not easy. 
It's a, it can be a difficult thing, but you got to be ready for that. You got to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And you know we've got too many people in the ministry today. They're not good soldiers. You know what they are? They're little lemmings. You know they just they're blown around with the wind. They just go along with whoever the most popular person is out there. That's what they go along with, and they're going off a cliff many times. And if you're going to endure hardness, okay, which is he says this right after telling him to the things that you've heard among many witnesses to teach those same things to faithful men who'll be able to others teach others also. So that this is about preserving good doctrine and te- uh, what we teach. It says, No man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him that had chosen him to be a soldier. So it calls it warring here. Hey, now we know the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We're not talking about physically going to battle here, but understand preserving good doctrine, it's a battle. It's a fight. And folks, you all seen it. You all know how it is. The attacks that we get in this church just because of certain things that we teach. All we're just trying to do is preserve good doctrine. We're seeing it. We've seen it. I've seen it in my generation. People who used to preach the reprobate doctrine now not preaching the reprobate doctrine. Why? Because it's a war. It's a fight. If you're going to preach the reprobate doctrine, you're going to get in a fight. That's all there is to it. If you do not accept certain garbage that has come in to the Baptist church like dispensations and stuff, you try to clean that stuff up, and get and get rid and purge those things when you're from that, you're going to be attacked. And it can be pretty vicious. So just understand that this is it's a war, it's a battle, and it's a battle that's worth fighting too. We need to preserve good doctrine. It is important it is so important that we do that. And we got to make sure we don't get too sidetracked with the things of this world. We can't get entangled with the affairs of this life. You know, we can't worry too much about getting caught up in, you know, being the keynote speaker, you know, at the sword conference or whatever. We can't get too caught up in that kind of thing. You can't get caught up in the politics of things. If you're going to get caught up in that, you're not going to be fighting the battle that the Lord wants you to fight. So we don't want to get caught up in the affairs of this life. We can't just do things that are going to be good for us financially speaking. You know, as a church, we don't want to just, you know, as a, and as a pastor, I can't just preach things that will help bring in the money. i got to preach the whole counsel of God but unfortunately, many people get caught up with the things of this world. Christians and churches get caught up with the things of this world, with the, the affairs of this life. And, you know, there's many of these things, too, that we could talk about that they're not necessarily bad, but they can become too much of our life. Okay? So, for example, and this is a, we can preach a whole other message just on this, but when it comes to all right, the affairs of this life, okay, our jobs, our possessions, okay, it's, you know, our house is pretty important, isn't it? It's pretty important to have a house. It's pretty important we have cars. Obviously, we need these things. We spend a lot of our life, you know, devoted to paying for these things, taking care of these things. All of that's fine. But here's what you need to do. Here, I am 100% for, you know, people having stuff, okay? If you do well financially and you have a fancy house, I'm not going to do the classic, well, you know, I wonder how many missionaries they could support if they just lived in a regular house. You know, I hate that. I hate that so much. Well, you know, if you drove a cheaper car, you know, you could help put another missionary out on the field. You know, but you got to have that, you know, fancy car. You know, just shut up. I hate when people try to act spiritual that way. All right, it's just like the new joke now. Anything we enjoy doing, you know, well, just think about what we'd accomplish if we spent that time soul winning. 
You know, we were joking about that with the ping pong table. You know, just think, think how many people are going to go to hell because we were playing ping pong, you know, and that's just more time we spend so Like, we're not ever allowed to have any fun. Isn't that what people always want to do? You know, it's always go. They always want to go to souling. You know, that kind of thing makes souling look bad. It makes missions look bad. When that, when that's all you want to do is criticize everybody because anything they spend their money on. Well, you went on a vacation. You know, I I, I believe in just going on mission trips. We don't take you know, those are our vacations. You know, knock it off. All right, nobody's falling for your halo. Okay? And you know, and just and yeah, everybody they think it's like. Every spare moment ought to be spent going soul winning. And it's like, you know, if you want to do that, great. But stop guilt tripping people if they do anything fun. Okay? It's okay to have fun. It's okay to enjoy life, take days off, things like that. And, you know, don't, but at the same time, when it comes to possessions, our mindset should be that these things are tools to help us serve the Lord. So, for example, if you're just living out in a tent, okay, if you if you would get rid of your house and just have your family live in a tent, I mean, isn't that just more money you can give to the church so we can get more people saved? You know, if you lived if you lived in a tent in town and you just walked to church and you didn't have to have a car, wouldn't that be less money you would need to survive and pay for food and things, which would give you less time at work and that's more time to go winning souls, right? I mean, you know, could, couldn't we take it that far if we wanted to? Okay, but obviously, you know, today, if we all were doing that type of thing, we'd probably be a pretty bad testimony, wouldn't it? And most of us would probably burn out, flop out, our wives would all leave us, you know, you know it, it wouldn't be good. Okay, obviously, it's just common sense. We need houses, we need clothing, we need shelter, you know, we need, we need cars, we need all these things. But we should look at all of our possessions as these are things we use to help me serve the Lord. And is me going into major debt for this car going to help me? Do more for God, or is it going to hurt me? And we need to make sure that our it's okay for you to have things as long as your priorities are right. And don't let those things get you so entangled where you know now because you got this super high car payment, now you got to work overtime all the time to survive and pay your bills. You know, and so now you're not ever able to ever go soul winning. You're not able to be in the house of God when you should be. So these things can become your know, possessions can become just too much of our life. And I'm not going to get up here and tell you what the perfect balance is. All right, I'll leave that to another preacher that's got it all figured out and knows how much soul you should do and all that. But obviously, you know, we do want to we do want to have a balance and just not let these things entangle us to the point where we're not able to serve God like we should. And so, always kind of just keep if, if you keep the things of God the priority, you'll make the right decisions when it comes to where you work, you know, how much you spend on a car. You know, what kind of house you buy. You'll get all that stuff right if you keep that mindset. But I'm not going to go and say this is what it is for everybody. This is what percentage of my income goes to housing. If you're doing more than that, you've got too much house. I don't know what that number is. You know, this is what percentage goes to vehicles. If you're doing more, you know, you're imbalanced. I'm not going to do that. Okay? If you want to figure that out, go read Dave Ramsey's book. You know, he's he puts that stuff in there. But, you know... You take what you want and leave the rest. But anyway, uh, we just we, but we don't want to just get entangled. We're trying to please him who had chosen to be a good soldier. And so everything you buy, everything you bring into your life should be with the mindset, will this help me serve God better? That needs to be your mindset. And so verse 5 says, If a man also strive for masteries, 
yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. So as a soldier, as we're fighting, as we're trying to you know, preserve good doctrine, as we're trying to you know, follow the Lord, try to be a good soldier, we've got to make sure we follow the rules. There's rules to this thing. And it's not just about you know, where things end up. It's not about so much the, uh, you know, the physical results of what we can see. So, for example, if I have to violate God's Word to build a church, I'm not going to be rewarded for that work. And what is it that we often look at as evidence of success? We look at the numbers. You know, we look at uh, YouTube subscribers, apparently, is something that we look, we're supposed to look at today as a sign of someone's success. I think that's stupid. But, you know, the thing is, you know, all the, you know, people will do that all the time. You know, they'll mock maybe the size of someone else's church. Well, then, if that's true, then we all should be worshiping at the feet of Stephen Furtick. I saw that guy again. I am sick of every time I'm watching like a real Baptist preacher preaching, the next video that automatically comes up is either him or MacArthur or Zachariah, that Zacharias guy. I'm sick of it. These people disgust me. They absolutely disgust me. And I watched Furtick come out with his just great big teethy grin, reading the teleprompter, just fake, just, just irritated the snot out of me. But you know what? He's blowing me away with subscribers on his channel. He's blowing me away when it comes to size of church and things like that. But let me tell you something. That boy ain't following the rules. He's not striving lawfully. And so, you know, I don't care what you see there. Okay? I, it doesn't, is he, isn't he the water slide baptismal church? What's that? That was a joke. That didn't really happen? All right. Probably Babylon B or something. But I don't know. But I wouldn't put it past him, though. <laughs> he might as well have a water slide in that baptism in that church. I mean, it's just a total fun center. Folks, he's not striving lawfully. That's not, that's not what we're supposed to look at. And so understand, you know what's going to determine who was doing the best? It's not going to be church size. It's not going to be YouTube subscribers. It's not going to be money in the bank. Otherwise, Kenneth Copeland's got us all beat. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be when we stand before God on Judgment Day. That's when we're going to know if we did it right. And folks, I've been accused of you know everything. Okay, when it comes to my motivations, I love how people always reveal their heart by telling you your motivations. That is the most guaranteed way to reveal your heart is when you tell somebody what their motivations are. They're giving themselves away. And I could go on and on with some of the things that I have been accused of, you know, my motivation being. And it's like, man, buddy, thank you for just showing me your heart. That's all, that's all I can say when I see that type of thing. And I'm going to tell you right now, we're never going to really know until we stand before God someday. And then it's going to be crystal clear at that time. It will be crystal clear then. And, you know, so that's why whatever we do, we want to make sure we strive lawfully. We want to follow the rules. Our end, our end game, it's not the crowd. It's not the money. It's not the YouTube subscribers. Okay, Our, our end game is we want those heavenly rewards when we stand before the righteous judge who can see everything. Okay, he can see everything. See, the thing, too, you got to realize when judgment's getting thrown our way, too, is that people can't see everything. You know, the only thing that people really see from our church is what comes through the YouTube channel or what we post on social media or on our website. They don't see everything else. They can't possibly see those things. 
But, you know, but the thing is, God can. God sees how we're spending our time. God knows if we're actually, you know, we have a good amount of soul winning time. You know, even though there can always be more. God knows how our priorities are because he sees everything in our life. And so we just got to make sure we stay focused on that. You know, we can't just get, we can't get caught up in just worrying about how everything appears. And folks, I don't do that. And a lot of times, when, you know, that's the one danger about live streaming services and, and putting things online like we do is there is, there's so much stuff that people don't see. It's real easy for people to get false perceptions on things. And you know, I don't have time to just answer these people on everything. And so, you know, and I do, I get the emails and the, you get the comments and you get just the, uh, you know, people out there making videos and, or getting sniped and you hear all the things that get thrown your way. And it's like, you know, I don't have time to answer that stuff. Cause some of us actually are doing stuff and actually are working really hard and uh, actually accomplishing things. And you know, we're not all, you know, we're not all John Hamblin and just, you know, posting our, uh, doing our selfies with our converts on Twitter every day. Not, not all of us do that. You know, we do the work and we rejoice amongst each other. We talk about it amongst each other. You know, we tell our soul winning stories after we get done going out, but we don't put it all out there online. So understand, you know, and, and you know, this too, this is for people who just listen. Okay? Understand, until you've gone to this church, you don't know this church. You don't know it until you've actually been here. You can see a little bit, you know. And we don't try to fake anything or hide anything. It's just there's only so much you can see and figure out from a live stream during a service. And, and from YouTube and from social media, you find out what it's really like when you're actually here. And so understand, you know, it's foolish to listen to the you know, judgments and things that are out there. And it's amazing, too, and I've warned everybody about this. It's amazing how many people can actually be a part of this, be here, know us. And yet they will listen to the news media or somebody who's never been to this church tell us how we really are, and then they believe them. Isn't that amazing? That's how brainwashed we are today. Some of you, if the news media, if you went home and you watched the news tonight and heard the news media you know, say that, you know, Pastor Tommy's, a, you know, foaming at the mouth, raving lunatic that's just out to kill people. You believe it. Even though you've been going to church here for years, know me. Know, know what it's really like. That's just how brainwashed some people are. And it is. It's amazing that people will do that, can be here, or, you know, they can be completely happy, not just here, but in, in a church or in another church. And then they just, they love the pastor, they love the people in the church, and then they watch a YouTube clip or a YouTube video of somebody saying something opposite and they believe them over their own witness, over their own experience. Isn't that, is that not weird, folks? But you know what? Welcome to America 2020. Welcome to a world full of brainwashed sheeple. Everybody's following somebody. Some people are following Fox News, some people are following CNN, some people are just following preachers. And they literally cannot think for themselves. And you know what? Preachers get things wrong sometimes. So we gotta, you know, we're, we're gonna do things lawfully. We're gonna do things according to God. And the judgment, the only judgment we need to worry about is not what anybody else says about us, but what is God gonna say about us when we stand before Him someday? And so we're gonna follow the rules. We're gonna strive lawfully, because I don't feel like doing all this work only to have it burned up when I stand before God. 
I'd like for there to be some precious stones, so we're going to do things the right way for the right reason. So it says in verse 6, The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the, of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. So I want to follow these rules because I have to partake of the fruits first. And so if I teach false doctrine, I'm going to be the first one that suffers as a result of it. You understand that? False doctrine will mess up your life. False do- if I'm up here and I'm preaching garbage when it comes to how you should live your life, hey, I'm up here preaching this type of, you know, just bad stuff, I'm going to suffer too. It's not just going to be you that suffers. I'm going to suffer too. If I'm up here and I'm just doing bad preaching when it comes to the family, you know who's going to be the first one to suffer? I am. But if I'm up here preaching truth, if I'm up here preaching things that are right, guess who's going to be the first one to benefit from my preaching? Me. If I'm actually living it, if I'm actually doing it, not just saying it and not doing it. And by the way, especially to all of you who attend church here, what I do is impacting you even more than what I say. Because you all who actually attend here, you actually get to see what I actually do. The loudest preaching, the best preaching I will ever do to people in my church is what I do outside the pulpit. Now, people listen on YouTube, they don't get to see that preaching. But you know what? I hope, I hope the preaching I do outside this pulpit blows away any preaching I do behind this pulpit. And you know, there's guys out there that don't do that good when it comes to preaching behind a pulpit of wood. But boy, when they step outside that pulpit, they just tear it up all the time. And that's why there's preachers out there. There are great churches out there doing great things with pastors who just aren't very good speakers. But you know what? They're great Christians. They're great Christians that love the Lord and that are just living a life that is according to the Word of God. And the people in those congregations see that and they learn from it. He's teaching them things that he could never articulate with his mouth, but yet they're watching it be done, and so they're getting things that no speaker could ever just get up and articulate. And they're getting it because they're able to be there, they're able to watch it. And that's another benefit of being in a real, live, flesh and blood church. You guys get the good preaching. Hopefully. So assuming, assuming I'm actually living it. So I'm going to be the partaker of the fruits. So, I obviously want good for you. So, uh, and you know, but I, I want it for myself too. So I have to if I want to benefit from the you know if you're going to benefit, I'm going to benefit first. So understand, you know, my preaching that I do, I, I can't just preach just to please everybody, make everybody happy because if it's garbage, I'm going to be the first one to suffer as a result. So we're gonna we're gonna keep preaching the truth. So verse 8, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised up from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So the Apostle Paul, he's in prison for preaching the word of God, for preaching the truth. So this truth that Paul was not compromising on, it ultimately ended up causing him to go to prison. And I, I had somebody challenge me, like, well, how do you even know Paul went to prison? How do you know all this stuff happened? You know, you're just making these things up. He's literally said, here in the chapter, and I showed him this verse, he's in bonds. 
I'm in bonds as a result of what I was preaching. But you know what he said? And I love this. He said, but the word of God is not bound. Now, listen, this is a truth you all need to get a hold of right here. Okay? If you can get anything out of this message, get a hold of this truth. Now, you all know Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. That's where we have the Great Commission. And, uh, and go ahead and turn over there, Matthew 28, 20. Well, I'll just quote this. Remember what Jesus said? All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. And what did he say? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. Notice Jesus said, I have all power, meaning all power, all authority in heaven and in earth. Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority, the ultimate boss on this earth, and he has given all of us permission to preach the gospel. Okay? Now, often the world tries to stand against that and tries to stop it and tries to bind God's servants, and sometimes they successfully do bind them. They successfully bound Paul. But notice, even though the Apostle Paul, the instrument that God used to get the gospel out in a great way, notice that it still wasn't bound. You know why? Because God has the power. The Word of God is more powerful so even though they're locking up God's people and God's messengers, the word of God is not bound. So the, uh, Hebrews 4.12, you all know, this, says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints of marrow, and is a discerner in thoughts and the intents of the heart. So it's sharper than any two-edged sword. You say, well, that, time, well, that worked for back in Paul's day, but now they have guns. Well, you know what? It's more powerful than any gun. They've got. So the thing is, if all this is true, if all power, if Jesus has it, then the only way for the gospel to be stopped is for those who have been commissioned stop spreading it. That's all there is to it. Because our government does not have the authority. Is our government more powerful than God? No, God has all power. So yeah, but they're locking people up. But locking people up Killing Christians has never slowed the gospel down, did it? In fact, it always spread it, didn't it? You know when the gospel gets slowed down? It's not when the government mandates that churches close down. It's when Christians choose to stop spreading the gospel. It's not when they start putting us in prison. It's when Christians choose to stop spreading the gospel. That's because the word, word of God is not bound. It's more powerful. Yeah, but they, they just passed this law. The law of God is more powerful. Yes, but they're enforcing it with guns. Yes, but the word of God is more powerful than their guns. Yeah, but I might get killed. But you know what? The word of God is still more powerful. Okay, God can do great things through your death. My death could possibly result in the gospel getting out even more because it has that much power. The only thing that can stop the word of God is us who have been given that authority to just do nothing with it. You all understand that? And we all need to get a hold of that. If the gospel gets slowed down in Rock Falls, it will not be because of our government out here. It will be because of us. We are the only ones. We choose whether it's going to advance or retreat. Because we have all power and all authority. And so Paul was able to say, the word of God is not bound, even though he was bound up in prison. And I think that's a, I think that's an amazing truth. And so we can make up excuses about the world's doing, but 
doesn't matter. Paul was bound in prison, but the word of God was not bound. So he said, it is a faithful saying. For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. This is what I want to really focus on here. Because this verse is often used to teach eternal security. But the problem is, you know, Paul's not necessarily been talking just about salvation in this passage. Okay, I want us, I want us to get a hold of what this verse is talking about. Because I've heard it used in really bad ways, outsoling with people too. But he's been talking about the, how the word of God is not bound. He's been talking about the furtherance of the gospel. He's been talking about preserving good doctrine. That's what, that's what he's been talking about the whole time. And what people often do with this passage that, on one hand, I would say it's kind of appropriate, but on the other hand, it's just not. Is where I've heard people out so and it's like, now what if someday you quit believing? Now, why do you bring up scenarios like that with people? I mean, I guess if they asked, and I, I, I've heard, I've gone so with people, and they're like talking about eternal security, and they're like, now even if you stop believing, you're still going to be saved. Why? Because, you know, Second Timothy says, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Is that, is that really appropriate to do that? Well, first off, I think that's a dumb thing to bring up when you're soul winning. Don't add that to your soul winning presentation. Okay? But, at the same time, I, I think it's appropriate and inappropriate. All right, so so let me show you why. So let's let's read this passage again, but interpret it based on what is actually stated and what he's been talking about. Okay, is there because is there any reason Paul would be answering the question based on anything he's talked about? Well, what if I quit believing? Hey, wait, wait a minute. We've been we, we've been talking this whole time about preserving good doctrine and teaching the same things and advancing the word of God and the word of God is not bound. But now I'm going to just take a little time here to answer this question of what if I stop believing? I, I think that's kind of weird. I, I, I don't think that's what's going on here. So look at, because what if we quit believing? It's not based on anything we've seen so far. It's been said. So he said this for a reason. So 2 Timothy 2.11 says, it is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Okay? Now what Romans 6.3 says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. The like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. And then in verse 8 says, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So notice that, and when he's saying, if we be dead with him, we shall live with him. Okay, he's just trying to show us how we're preserved in Christ. Okay, we, you know, we trusted in him. He's got us. He saved us. We're good. He says, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Okay, and remember last what we were talking about last week. When we put distance between us and God, he will put distance between us and and him when we need him. Okay, I don't want to. I don't want to re-preach that. But he will. He'll kind of put that distance between us because, you know, we've been denying him when he needed us to be a witness. Now we need God to show that he's on our side. We're right, but you know, he's going to keep his distance. And we've all been there before. We're. You ever maybe, you know, your kid starts acting up in public and you just wish you could go hide somewhere and act like that's not your kid. 
You know, we, we've all been there before. You know, or have, you've been friends with somebody that did something really stupid. Like, I don't know that guy. You know, we, we've, we've all been there. And, you know, we're kind of denying. So he says all that. And then he says, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithfully, he cannot deny himself. So the believe here, I don't think he's talking about believing for salvation. But it could just be believing anything that God has promised. Because we make God look bad when we don't believe his promises. So, you know, for example... If God promised that he will always watch over me, and you know, and he has, and I'm in a difficult situation, it would be possible for me to despair and to think that God is not with me and to think that God is not looking out for me. And so in that, in that situation, when I'm despairing, you could say that I'm denying Christ, aren't I? I'm acting like he's not there when he is there. And so... Even though I think God has failed, God cannot deny himself. He's going to keep his promise. Y'all understand that? And so another way you could look at it, if I, let's say I got diagnosed with stage four cancer. Okay? If that happened, I have two choices. One, I could accept it as God's will. I could take comfort in the fact that God will be there with me through the valley of the shadow of death, that he will lead me, lead me safely through. And you know what God will do in that situation? He will be there with me. He will lead me safely through. I can have, and, and, and if I accept that, then that, I will have a great testimony to all who see it to know that they will have help with God when they need it. Okay, So I could do that, or I could also despair at the bad news. I go to the doctor this week, and I find out I've got stage 4 cancer. If I wanted, I could get up here, and I could say, you know what, folks? The Lord's abandoned me. I'm not even 40 years old, and I'm going to die. I deserve better than that. You know, God has failed. I, I could get up and say that. You all understand that? I could get up and say that. I might feel that way. Now, if I got up and I did that, would that not be a horrible testimony? Would that not make God look really bad while I'm talking that way? And then I could go, I could have a horrible testimony like that. I could be like, I don't even know if God's going to be, you know, I'm just going to go through the valley of the shadow of death alone. But you know what? Even with that horrible testimony, when I die, guess what? He's going to be there with me, isn't he? And so you know why? Because even though I've denied him, yet he abided faithful, he cannot deny himself. Even though I've messed up and I've, you know, I, and so when I think what he's saying this here, he's not talking so much about salvation, but he's talking about with all the things where we can, reject him as a Christian, as a Christian, where we can deny him, where we can not have faith. So you can apply it to salvation too. Of course, yeah, even if I all of a sudden think, you know what, God's not going to keep his promise. And I don't know, and I just, I don't believe a Christian would. It's like if you get saved by believing on Christ, you know, if you, if salvation is based on trusting in him and knowing he's going to save you, I don't really see where all of a sudden you just aren't doing that anymore, where you just change your mind on that kind of thing. I don't know. Personally, I think it's just kind of a dumb question that we don't want to get into. I think it just causes strife and contention. So either way, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to things, even too if I'm just suffering financially, well, you know, it looks like the Lord failed me again. You know, it looks like the Lord's not going to answer my prayer. But you know what? He's probably going to take care of me anyway. You know why? Because he's faithful. He's not going to deny himself. Yeah, you know what? You're being pretty sorry right now. You're denying me. You're not trusting me. But you know what? I promised 
that I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to do it anyway. That's the kind of God that we have. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that even though we're not always good, he is always good. Because he can't deny himself. So, uh, you, you know, you could apply that to many things. I don't really think it's appropriate to just take that and just make that passage about this is God showing if we quit believing we're still going to be saved. You know, I, I think it's just kind of weird. But, you know, and thank God for the hardcore soul owner, but they often make everything in the Bible about salvation. They, they do. And, and, you know, even when it's not what it's about, you know, it's like, you know, thank God for the hardcore people who are right on the repentance issue. But not every time we see the word repentance in the Bible is it referring about salvation. I'm sorry, but it's just not there. You know, that's not how it is. We don't need to go overboard with that. So verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And there's dispensationalism. I mean, we've not seen anything that shows dispensationalism anywhere in any way, shape, or form, but yet, this is their go-to verse, isn't it? But here's what's funny. Right after it, it says, But shun profane and vain babblings. Like some of this weird numerology junk that they want to teach. Like talking about you know inhabiting other planets and Nephilim and all these weird, whacked out things. Talking about days coming in the future where we're going to start having angel-human hybrids again. Okay, how is that not vain, profane and vain babblings? Yet that every dispensationalist believes that junk. And what do they do? They will increase unto more ungodliness. Bad doctrine always leads to sin. And when you're careless with the Word of God, you'll be careless with your life. That's all there is to it. And you will be partaker of the fruits of what you teach. Maybe that's why guys like Peter Ruckman couldn't keep a marriage together. You know why? Because his profane and vain babblings that he did, it led to more ungodliness. I don't know. It seems like the Bible... Is just showing itself true again. Because even though these guys are saying something else and denying what 2 Timothy 2 teaches, God remained faithful. He cannot deny himself. Hey, what I said, 2 Timothy 2, or what I taught in 2 Timothy 2, is going to be fulfilled. No matter how bad you all twist this, no matter how bad you mess up my words, I abide faithful. I cannot deny myself. It's going to happen the way I said. That's just the way God works. It says, And their word will eat as at the canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. It eats as at the canker. It spreads like a cancer. And you know, one thing that we've shown before, one false doctrine often leads to another false doctrine. And that, my friends, is what dispensationalism is. It is a false doctrine that they have accepted. All right, you pick which one it was first, the pre-trib or the pro-Jew stuff. And when you have a dumb doctrine like that, what do you have to do? Well, you got to reconcile it with a whole bunch of scriptures. Well, all right, so what are we going to do with this passage? Well, and then let's go to this. And they just start going all over the place with all these weird doctrines. You know, yeah, it looks like we're at the stuff, you know, rapture's after tribulation. Well, that's for the Jews. Well, Why? Because the Jews are God's chosen people. Well, well, but what about these Peter when he said you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and the holy nation, peculiar people? You know, what about what Paul taught in Romans? He is not a Jew that was one outwardly. What about Galatians and what it teaches right there? Well, you gotta understand one of these right now, we are God's people, but he's gonna go back to them and they just go all these weird things. All we're allowed to read is the Pauline epistles. You know, don't pay attention to Hebrews through Revelation. That's not for you. You know. But what about Revelation? It's written to seven churches. 
Yeah, but when you get to chapter 4, we see come up hither, you don't see the church mentioned anymore, and it starts to sound very Jewish. I heard a guy say that one time. Notice how the language changes when you get to chapter 4, and it sounds very Jewish. What does that mean? These are the things that they teach. And it's like that guitar string that gets out of tune. you got that one string that's out of tune, and you can either fix that one string, or you can tune all your other strings to go along with the one that's out of tune. And that's what dispensationalism is. And that's why they butcher so many doctrines. Why? Because when you get your doctrine wrong, it eats as a canker. And it spreads. It never stays in just one area. That's why you're, you're not going to find a dispensationalist that's just wrong you know, on the rapture. Okay? And they're not, they're not going to be just wrong on the Jews. They always go to these other things too and eventually are in dispensational salvation, which is damnable heresy. So, we, that's why we got to stop these things. You can get caught up in some of these things. You can get caught up in some of it, but you know what? We got to get rid of it. We got to repent of that false doctrine. And so verse 21, or verse 19, it says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having the seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. So we want to sanctify ourselves as Christians so we can be used of God in a greater way. And just like you all have your special dishes for the special company, and you got your junkie dishes for whoever, for the kids, you know, we want to be used of God in a special way, don't we? We want to be those special vessels, those vessels of honor. And if and so we've got to sanctify ourselves. And listen, even if you're just a sorry, pathetic Christian, you can be that paper plate Christian if you want. But you know what? I want to be the fancy china. You know, I want to be that you know those things that are a special vessel that's precious, but we've got to sanctify ourselves. So don't think just because you're saved that now. You know, I don't need, need to worry about anything. No, you need to sanctify yourself so God can use you in a greater way. You'll still go to heaven even if you're a paper plate. But you know what? I want to do more. That might be a weird illustration, but I think it's pretty good. But verse 22, flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strikes. And I wish I had time. I don't have time to talk about some of these foolish and unlearned questions. But, like, what if you stop believing? It's a dumb question. A lot of the just dumb things people want to bring up, and I've talked about it before, how you've got all these people, because they just you know hate all these heretics and don't want to let them have any credit for any good that they claim to have done, they start teaching all these weird things about salvation, like it's got to be this perfect incantation where all these things have to be in place. All these certain people have to be placed. If you don't, if you had this, if you, you know, this person wasn't saved, this person wasn't right, using the right Bible, something. All it does is causes confusion. And let me just tell you, when it comes to salvation, you got to have the Word of God. But you know what? I might not know when I heard it, where it came from. The person that you're talking to that's saved, they might not remember. And we're not going to go up to a saved person who's claiming Christ, who's professing Christ, and then ask them, who led you to the Lord? And what Bible did they use? They might not know. If that person is proclaiming Christ, if they have believed on Christ, somehow the Word of God got to them. 
Right? Somehow, I don't know who, there's many things that often lead to our salvation. We can't trace it all back. But you got goofballs that just want to cause contention and strife that start bringing all these things up and making all these requirements. I mean, I thought I was believing the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Yeah, but how should they call him and they have not believed? How should they have not heard? How should they hear without a preacher? We got to add that to the, listen, if they believe they had a preacher, do, do I really got to go and, and trace all these things back? You're, you're trying to just cause strife and contention. It's foolish. You know what it is? It's unlearned. And you know who makes the biggest deal about these things? It's usually young Christians. It's usually young, mouthy punks. And I know in the new IB there's no young, mouthy punks. But in some movements they have that. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, it's aggravating. I shouldn't lie from the pulpit. But anyway, lost my spot. So verse uh, 23, foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing they do gender strikes. There is such thing as a dumb question. I hear people say that about the Bible. There's no such thing as a dumb question. Well, I'm sorry. Foolish and unlearned questions then. Shouldn't you be answering these things, Brother Tony? I mean, you know, I, you know, I'll have these idiots get on the YouTube channel, start asking me these foolish and unlearned questions. We'll call them dumb. Foolish and unlearned questions. Why aren't you answering me? You know, why can't you answer this, Pastor Tommy? You know why? I'm avoiding you. Because it's a stupid question. That's all there is to it. There is such a thing. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. And they'll bring that one up. It's like, but, you know... And because the thing is, so it's like you avoid these questions, like the Bible says, and then they'll try to accuse you of not being apt to teach and patient. Okay? You can do both. And one of the ways that I do not strive is I do not get caught up in foolish and unlearned questions. Because there's just some things you can't handle in a gentle way. Some of the dumb questions that people ask me, I can't answer those in a gentle way. I can't. It's not possible. I'm trying to think of a really good one that I've been asked you know, recently. But, I mean, just some of these things, they are. They're that bad. And so, you know what you do? You avoid them. That's what you do. And then in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, in God prevention will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So we need to be patient and willing to work to help keep people on the right track doctrinally. And if they get off, we need to pray that they will repent. That God will give them an opportunity to repent. And, then, and listen, don't be too quick to just judge everybody reprobate that teaches a weird doctrine. You know, and, and I get it. Sometimes people are reprobate. Sometimes people are unsaved. But it's amazing how quick people want to jump to the unsaved and the reprobate card. What about if God eventually will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth? Now, God's not going to give them repentance. How do you know? How do you know God's not going to give them repentance? How do you know that God's not going to give Kent Hovind repentance with his dumb teaching that he's letting that guy teach about Christians, you know, being punished in the millennium. That's a, that's a horrible teaching, folks. That is a damnable heresy. That's trash. That's garbage. I hate it. And you know what? I'm praying that God will give him repentance. I, now, I don't think he's saved. Well, you know what? You might be right. You might be right. But you know what? I hope God gives him repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. That's what I hope. Because you know what? I'm not, I'm not just on a hair trigger to just cast off everybody and go from liking somebody to hating them the next day. You know what I want when people get off in false doctrine? I want God to give them repentance. I'm not looking for an excuse 
to take away their salvation or to reprobate them. That's not what I want to do. Now, if it's somebody I don't like, you know, that's typically what we do, isn't it? That's typically what we do in that situation. But it shouldn't be our go-to. And, and you listen, with and, and I'm not defending Kent, Kent Hovind, man. I, I'm sad. That guy's just been doing a lot of weird stuff for a long time. And if you don't think he's saved, I'm not mad at you for it. I get it. I get it, man. He's given a lot of reasons to question that right now. But you know what? I hope he repents. That's what I hope. That, that, that's my desire for him. But, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, can't, I can't stand there and just emphatically defend the salvation of somebody who's teaching that. But I will tell you that I hope he's saved. And I hope he repents. That, that's my desire. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. I think he's in the snare of the devil right now. That's what I think. And I hope he gets, to, I hope he gets delivered from that. That's, that's my desire. I believe saved people can get pretty deep in false doctrine. So the devil is always going to be involved in people's Bible study. He's going to try to snare you with pride and contention. And some people know just enough Bible to help them be a massive pain in the neck. That's just, that's just a fact. And these people are often in the snare of the devil themselves. And every generation needs to work hard to preserve what has been handed to them. And a generation is coming where there will be a major apostasy that will ultimately lead to the rise of the Antichrist. And I know preachers have been saying this for years, but folks, we've got to be in it. How could it get much worse than what we're seeing today? But I've learned. I've learned not to say it can't get any worse. I've learned that, man. If 2020 has taught me anything, so you better believe it can get worse. I'm never saying that again. So, with that, let's pray to your Lord. We thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. Pray to your God that you will uh, help us to uh, stay true to your word, uh, Lord, doctrinally. I pray you'll help us to be a good soldier and help us to continue just teaching the same things that we have been taught and just passing on truth. I pray you'll be with those who are just going off a cliff doctrinally. Lord, I, I pray for Kent Hovind, dear Lord, that you will give him repentance. I pray that uh, he'll wake up to this craziness that he is allowing to be taught right now and he's participating in and that uh, you will that he will be delivered from the snare of the devil that he's in dear god i i pray that you'll do that i I i'm thankful for all he stood for in the past and all the many things he's done and so dear god i i I don't want his legacy to be uh something that's this wicked and this foolish dear god and so i pray that or if he is saved you will uh, allow him to repent and to Uh, Get these things right. In your name we pray. Amen.